This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's Q&As. It's Thursday, pretty early morning, so hopefully everybody had enough time to get their questions in. But let's jump in and see what we got. First up, Scott Linux wants to know if I have any opinions on using Deoxit to clean old cartridge pins. They've seen it recommended on certain websites and YouTube videos for cleaning electronics. So yes, it's fine, but I would always start with the methods that I have written on RetroRGB, even if you know that you're going to need to go farther. And that's basically first disassemble the cartridge when possible. I know there's some that's really hard to get apart. You could risk breaking the plastic. So I, I get if you don't, uh, if you can't take it apart, but if you can, try to, especially if it's just something like a Phillips head or a tri-wing screwdriver or one of those bits, game bits or something, super easy to, to get a hold of one of those and cheap as well and just take that thing apart. And then, you know, just go through the basics, right? Wipe down the plastics on the inside to make sure there's no dust or sticky buildup. And then take a look at the electronics on the board, the cartridge board itself, and see what it looks like. If everything's mostly fine and you're just worried about cleaning the pins, the advice of using isopropyl and a Q-tip, or even better, head cleaners, um, they're a little bit more expensive and you probably already have Q-tips laying around, but tape head cleaners are better. But use some isopropyl, wipe it down, then use a pink pencil eraser, not the one on the end of a pencil because that has the metal shielding around it and you could end up scratching if it goes down too far. Just one of those cheap, standard old pink pencil erasers and go back and forth on both sides, making sure to not touch the contacts with your fingers because the oil on your fingers can definitely get on there and cause some issues. And then one more time with isopropyl and some way to wipe that down. And that will take care of 99% of fixable issues. The times that you would want to use other stuff like deoxit is if you took apart your cartridge and it's just filled with gunk. Somebody spilled soda in there 20 years ago and now it's just crusted. Uh, or if it's quite literally oxidized over. Maybe somebody used Brasso across all of the pins on a cartridge that didn't need it and now it exposed the pins and they're oxidizing all the time. You know, use it when there's a need to, but don't use it when there isn't a need to. And also, whenever you use fluids where you're spraying on, you just need to make sure that they're absolutely dry. So in the context of you dip a tape head cleaner or a Q-tip in some isopropyl and you wipe it down across the cartridge pins, uh, and then you wipe it down with a dry Q-tip or dry head cleaner, really, by the time that you've reassembled that cartridge, it's going to be dry. I mean, unless it's unless you overly you know, gooped it on there or something. However, if you're spraying something like deoxit or if you're doing an alcohol bath because you opened it up and it's covered in soda or something, you know, I like to do things like take an um, electronics brush, which is essentially a toothbrush, and pour just 
literally pour isopropyl over it and then scrub it all around, pour a little bit more to wash that off, and then use something like a tape head cleaner to scrub it dry. Then what I always do is tap it a bunch of times on my hand to, to let gravity pull all of the fluids out, hit it with some kind of compressed air. I love the machine that I've been using for 10 years now. Just go, I'll put a link to the modding tools page, scroll down to the bottom. It's like a reverse vacuum cleaner, basically. And then if it's been submerged in non-conductive fluid, not water, uh, then I always like to leave it in the sun for a couple minutes. And I just want to be very clear. I don't mean leave it in the sun for hours. That'll probably ruin it. I just mean there's still microscopic little bits of fluid in there. And leaving it in sunlight, even through the inside of the window, you should be able to get the UV rays in there enough to, to just dry out whatever's left. Leave it for two or three minutes. And then uh, same thing, take it and tap it on your hand. And if your hand gets cold, that means there was still some alcohol on there and that's what you're feeling. Uh, so put it back in the sun for a minute or two. Same, and probably hit it with an, uh, compressed air again. And basically just every couple of minutes, tap it on your hand. When you feel nothing, it's completely dry, put it back. Now, once again, that is in extreme scenarios. That's in if you see something that's completely oxidized, just like if you see something where one of the cartridge pins is rusted or something. That is the type of scenario in which you would use a fiberglass pen, sandpaper, brasso, all of those things that you're told to never use, but you would use it only on the spot with rust or, or rot or corrosion on it. You would go above and beyond to clean it off. And then you would also have to realize that since, you know, getting the, the rust off is important because you don't want it to spread, but now that area is going to be way more sensitive than the rest of your pins. So you're just always going to have to keep an eye on it. And that that is the scenario in which, you know, you have a cartridge, you have all these gold pins, you've got them completely clean, but one used to be rusted. So then the next time you go to clean it, spray a little deoxid on the end of a tape head cleaner, rub down that area, just that area with it, and then you're good to go. So I'm pretty sure that was a way longer answer than you wanted. But the, the short answer is, do I have any opinions on it? You probably don't need it, but it's safe to use as long as you follow the procedure that I just talked about. Uh, and I'll leave a link to the modding tools page uh, if you just want to see all that stuff. And I guess the cartridge cleaning page as well or something. Tim the Gamer 23 said, Mike G has been teasing the RetroTink 4K. Do I know of any more recent updates about it? Should they wait for it to be released or just go with the 5X Pro? They have original console hardware, but zero good cables for an upscaler. So uh, very respectfully, um, I do have a prototype unit right just out of uh, just out of view right there. I've been testing it, but it's always my you know my policy to never ever talk about beta stuff unless the creator tells me to. Um, and if they don't tell me to, I just err on the side of caution. However, if you want to see more updates about it, Mike's been posting all over social media the things that he feels comfortable sharing with everyone. So I would just go to Mike's social media and just kind of see what's there to get a more more of an idea about features and updates, but there's no price and there's no release date still because it's still a beta product. It's coming along very well, by the way. But so in that scenario, I would always recommend the same thing. Buy whatever you need today. And especially in the case of the 5X versus the 4K, Mike has talked openly and publicly about the 5X is always going to be available. I mean, within reason, right? Probably not 20 years from now, but certainly the next couple of years. Um, and the 4K is going to be a premium product. 
So like Acura to Honda, you know, or uh, anything like that, where they both do a great job, but the 4K is going to be for people that want to spend more money on something that could do more things that not everybody needs. So it is actually very plausible that while the 4K is pretty amazing, if it were out today, you would look at your setup and go, you know, I don't really need those extra features, and it already looks awesome outputting 1080p 5x to my TV, so I'm just going to get 5x and save some money or something like that. So, you know, this is one of those interesting scenarios that first and foremost, if a product is not out yet and you were ready to upgrade today, I wouldn't wait unless there was a solid and reliable release date. Like a company that is known for always nailing their release date saying, yeah, it's coming out next week, maybe wait a week. But in a scenario like this, and obviously I only mean love to Mike, but there's no official price, no official release date yet, but the 5X is in stock, a very mature product and kicking ass. So I would buy that one. The only hesitation would be for you, Tim, for your question, the way your question was worded. So the everything up until now is the advice I would give everybody else, except you specifically said you have original console hardware, but zero good cables for an upscaler for now. So I'm interpreting that as you have a bunch of original consoles connected via RF or composite to a consumer grade CRT. And if that's correct, you have an amazing setup already. As long as you're not in the middle of a very busy city and RF is giving you all kinds of crazy interference, as long as you're using composite or you're out in the burbs and RF is going to probably look the same, that's an excellent solution. So you might not have a need to, to buy something new right now. And you mentioned that you don't have any, any of the premium cables. So none of the ones that are RGB or component video outputting from those consoles. So maybe you just wait and kind of see. Check out Mike's social media, see if a price is released. Maybe start picking up high quality cables as you go. And that advice is always going to be the same. Just picture what your total setup is going to be like. Um, are you going to have something like a, a mix between SCART and component? Maybe it's better to go all component then. Are you only going to be doing RGB SCART? Are you, do you have a consumer-grade TV that has component video inputs? Or if you're in Europe, a SCART input, you know, maybe start upgrading now to whatever that is so you could use them in the future. It's, that's kind of going to be something that's up to you to decide. And if you want to talk further about that, just keep asking questions and I'm happy to answer. But maybe the answer for you is just start acquiring these better cables, wait till there's more info, and then make your decision. But for everybody else, I would, especially people that already have high quality cables, if you're on the fence about this, just pick up the 5X because there's no telling when the 4K is going to be released. And even, even if it is everything of your wildest dreams, it might be out of your budget. So, you know, you would have waited all that long for nothing. And once again, just to be very clear, I think it's amazing. I think people are going to go nuts over it. But it's going to be a premium product, so you might not. It might just be out of your budget, which is totally fine. That's nothing wrong with that. But I just wanted to cover the gamut, Tim, not just to answer your question, but for anybody else who might be thinking, do I wait on the 4K or do I just get the 5X? So if I if I made things more confusing, please just let me know. Uh, but hopefully that pointed you in the right direction. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Next up, Belmont's got some weird stuff going on. They have three sets of SNES HD Retrovision cables for NES, SNES, and N64. They recently revamped their setup, and now for some reason, one set of cables won't show video with their N64, but the same cables will work fine with any other console. They triple-checked to make sure they were plugged in correctly, because that's usually the issue, and they came back the next day to test again, and same thing. Not the biggest deal, since all three consoles are working fine after swapping cables, but they found it weird nonetheless. Thoughts? So, I just want to make sure I got this right. You had HD Retrovision cables plugged into a Nintendo 64. You flip on the power, and nothing comes out of the video. Is the power light on? Are you positive that the N64 is powering on? Because that has a self-healing fuse in it. So I have seen N64 PSUs blow out. You turn the power on, there's nothing. You come back the next day and it works because it's got the self-healing fuse. So was the power on when you were uh, when you were testing this? Or are you like me and you flip the power switch, you look at the screen and you go, nothing's happening. And you forgot to check the power LED. I do that all the time. So I'm not teasing. Well, I am. I'm teasing myself. But um, and afterwards, you were you able to, to when this was happening, when the N64 was not outputting video, let's say that the power light was definitely on. You unplugged, plugged it back in, no video. What if you took in that exact moment, did you take the plug out of the SNES and plug it into the N64 and it's still not working? Because um, that that's kind of where your next steps are. Because in that scenario, power goes on, everything's fine, uh, everything seems to be fine, I mean, but you don't get any video out of one cable, but you get it out of another, and then the next day that original cable is working, that's probably something internal. So I would disassemble your entire N64, clean out the um, the memory pack, maybe just like a cartridge, maybe there's some oxidation on there or something. Um, I would check all of the wiring. I would check for shorts. I would make sure that there's nothing loose inside. You never know what could happen when you button something back up, especially that metal shielding. Maybe it could be shorting something. So I would basically just disassemble everything and then very carefully reassemble it and try again. Uh, but... I don't really, other than that, I don't really know. Could have been the self-healing fuse and power. It could be something inside, but can you pass some more info and we could try to see if this is an issue? Or I guess if it never happens again, then it's not a problem. But that was a weird one. And there's usually some little gutcha in there that's uh, that's causing this to happen. But hopefully I could point you in the right direction for troubleshooting tips. The dressing gown said they've got a PAL region consumer CRT that accepts composite RGB and RF. For their 6th gen consoles in the Wii, they'd like to be able to use component video, but they don't think component was all too common in the UK on consumer sets. They're aware of mods for CRTs to accept RGB signals, but am I aware of any mods that allow accepting component video? No, and just picking up the retro, uh, the retro tank comp to RGB would be infinitely easier, because all you got to do is just... 
just buy that device and then you plug your component cables into that and plug that into your TV. And depending on the location of your SCART connector, you might even be able to pick up a SCART coupler that you don't even need a cable. You would basically just turn the SCART port into a component video port. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, functional things that might be an issue there. It might physically not fit in the back of your TV. You might require a SCART cable for that. But I'm going to leave a link anyway because that device uh, that device started out as just T and I talking about wouldn't it be neat if we had this, and then T made it, and it turned out to perform really well. So <laughs> that was one of those like made something by mistake type of things. Uh, so you might want to look into that just in case. The only thing that you'll probably want to note is that I have no knowledge of a PAL CRT that accepts 480p over the SCART input. They're all of the ones that I know of only accept 480i. So for the PlayStation 2, most of the games don't support more than 480i anyway. For the Wii, you would just have to manually switch it to 480i. But interlaced video looks totally fine on a CRT. It only gets funky when you go to a flat panel. So I'm pretty sure the RGB... Comp to RGB. I'll leave a link to the right one, I promise. But the comp to RGB is the, the one that you're going to want. And if your setup would physically allow for the SCART coupler, that might do an easier job than um, than having a SCART cable. But if not, just pick up a SCART cable. But I'm pretty sure that uh, that should sum it all up for you. Next up, Oliver Clare is interested in link cables for the serial ports on retro consoles, as it's a very specific gameplay experience that could be difficult to replicate. And they'd specifically like to know about the Turbo uh, Turbo Graphics PC Engine consoles. So I have zero experience with the Turbo Express stuff like that. What I can say is I agree, it's a very unique experience, and I do have some some hands-on experience with that. I linked a couple Game Boys together once as a kid, once and once only, even though we had the link cable and I had multiple friends with Game Boys. Um, and ever since starting Retro RGB, I did do some fun ones. I did the Street Fighter live stream where we linked to Virtual Boys. Destiny and I did a stream where we linked to Dreamcast together. Um, I would love to follow up with one for the Saturn so we could play virtual on against each other with those, you know, the, the mech control or mech controllers, you know, the, the giant dual stick controllers. Uh, and I think I've also done Game Boy Advance stuff where we tested the link port in Woozle's Game Boy Advance consoleizer versus a regular handheld, and that all worked fine. But that's, and Zero Tolerance was one that, that was another one where I ordered the cable as a kid. I had a friend that had a Genesis and Zero Tolerance as well, but we just never put two TVs together to battle against each other. And I did that as well. I posted a link up on Twitter years ago. Ben from iFix Retro made me a cable. But that's really where my experience ends with this stuff. I didn't, to be honest, I didn't even realize there was a link cable for Turbo Graphics and PC Engine. But that does bring up a pretty interesting question uh, that Oliver does go into in that, well, if the Turbo Graphics and the PC Engine are the exact same as the Turbo Express and the PC Engine Express, they're just handheld versions of that, does that technically mean that you could link to original consoles, consoleized versions or console versions <laughs> together to do the same kind of two-player, each-on-their-own CRT thing. So can you play Bomberman and flight simulator game called Falcon with a Turbo Link mode using the original consoles and some kind of mod? And that's a good question. And there are a lot of pins on the back of that Turbo Graphics. So maybe somebody might know uh, a way to do that. My guess would be Dave Shadoff would probably be the first person I would ask if you're interested in that. But uh, 
that's not something I have any knowledge of. I would just think that there's at least potential for it because there's a lot of pins, a lot of signals are broken out. You could potentially have a cable made where you plug two of those together uh, and you could battle against each other for those two games. But I just don't know anything about that or where to start. Uh, also, I, I've never seen a link cable. I don't know if that's something that could be reproduced or if it's a proprietary connector on it. So unfortunately, as much as I did read every word of your post, I just don't know if I if I have any info other than ask some people who are smarter than me when it comes to turbo graphics and PC Engine stuff. If you do want to see a pretty cool link setup that I had never seen before. Uh, I saw Selena on Twitter post linking a turbo, or it was a Neo Geo pocket color to a Dreamcast. And I thought that was neat because I'd never actually seen that before. So I'll post a link to that and you can just search through my stuff if you want to see any of the other stuff I talked about. But uh, I think all the others were a little bit more mainstream than that. So I'll definitely leave a link to hers. Uh, but yeah, sorry, I got to pass you off on this one because I just I have zero knowledge and I I hope somebody else does because this is a really interesting question and it would be neat to link two turbo graphics together to see this. But I just I got nothing. Brett Vance just watched that VHS capture stream I did and wanted to know what retro tink 5x settings I would recommend for just watching VHS, not capturing it. And that is so much easier of an answer because if you're capturing it, you want to make sure to get everything right because you're preserving that. But if you're just watching a VHS tape, it doesn't matter if you accidentally made a mistake and it's 1% not as good as it was or as it could be. Or now you could add scan lines because scan lines look great if you're using the right TV and the right content, but they don't really capture well. So for for that, for your scenario, if I want to watch a VHS tape through the Tink 5X onto my TV, I would use all of the default settings. So uh, 1080p, uh, stretching it to your screen, uh, generic 4x3 handling of it, uh, and motion adaptive deinterlacing, all of the absolute defaults. The only two things I would add are you're probably going to want to check out the scan line filters because those might really cut through all the interference and give you a lot more of a CRT feel. And also, you said you don't have the new beta firmware, so I would just start watching your tapes. And if it works, great, you're done. If it doesn't work, if you start to get dropouts, if it, it doesn't work at all, then you're going to need a time-based corrector, which is a lot of money. So just use the beta firmware that has that feature built in. You could get it right up on Mike's Discord, and you could always switch back. So that, that's just something I want to be very clear. Let's say you load up this beta firmware and for some reason, you know, one of your other consoles stops working. It's fine. Just put the other one back. You do lose your pre-configured settings, which that might drive some people crazy. But for, for the most part, I think, um, you know, the RT5X, that's one of my only real complaints about it is you can't back up and restore your settings, which I think Mike's working on that for the 4K. But that would be the only downside. So, but there's zero... Neg or there's zero damage possible if you just plug everything in and try. So, you know, if you plug your VHS player in and it doesn't work, fine. Maybe you don't want to upgrade to the beta firmware, but totally safe to try. It's not like sending high voltage or anything. It just wouldn't sync. Next, they recently picked up an NES top loader and quickly realized their TV can't handle the RF signal. Fortunately, the wiki mentioned using a VCR as a demodulator, and they were able to snag one for free on Facebook Marketplace. It worked great, but now they've got a new problem, the VHS nostalgic itch. So the only other thing I'm going to add to that is an opinion. What I just 
Technically, a lot of what I just said was opinion too, but those are all rooted deeply in fact. This is 100% opinion. You can disagree with every word out of my mouth and it's totally cool, but I approach VHS two ways. First, if it's personal stuff, home videos, you know, family stuff, I take that very seriously. I try to digitize it the best I possibly can. You know, there's always going to be a better method down the road, but I do my best in that moment. But when it comes to just watching movies, TV shows, I really pick and choose my experience for that because I absolutely did find that like the X-Men, original X-Men series on DVD on a CRT, I, I prefer that over anything else. Or in your case, it would be through the RT5X with some CRT filters on it. But there were really rarely any times I preferred VHS over digital. When I did, it was always older content because uh, if you have stuff where the colors aren't you know, uh, the color compression of VHS is a little, uh, you know, if that doesn't affect the overall experience, like a black and white movie, then I think that would really be where it shines. Same thing with 4x3 versus 16.9, stuff that was originally shot in square-ish. Maybe it wasn't 4x3, but squarer than 16x9. That would kind of work as well, because then you get the, the look and feel, but I would never watch, like, Jurassic Park on VHS, even though I grew up watching that, I would always watch the latest version of it or, or one of the latest. I actually think they did an amazing job with the 3D transfer of that. But so those are just opinions. You could do whatever you want. I just wanted to kind of add that this isn't for me, at least it wasn't like the retro gaming thing where I was like, oh, now I want to buy all of the cartridges of my favorite games. I want to try all of the new consoles that I've or all of the consoles that I've never tried that would be new to me, even though they're 20 years old. I didn't get that with VHS. I, I The moment I started watching content that was available elsewhere, I just most of the time I was like, this isn't this just isn't better. Uh, but, you know, there are absolutely times where I did that Sports Illustrated best of 1993 on VHS on a consumer TV, and it just looked amazing. It was like stepping back in time for all of the right reasons. So and that's also content that was all shot in 480i, and it probably would look terrible if it was digitized and, and put on a flat panel. So that's the scenario in which I really think VHS shines. Once again, I just said digitize and put on a flat panel. Going through the RetroTINK 5X with CRT filters is really close to CRT. So I imagine I would have loved it in that scenario as well. So I just kind of wanted to share my thoughts for anybody that was curious. But go ahead and disagree, Brent. There's no wrong answer for that one. It's just whatever you prefer. Dustin Madison wants to know if I can recommend any obscure games that folks might not know about that are hilarious. They're looking for inspiration for an upcoming stand-up bit they're working on. So most of the games I played were were generally mainstream. I didn't have any hidden gems or obscure games like that. But for content like that, I would absolutely look to Stika, Metal Jesus, and a few other people. And for Stika, look for the thumbnails that have like overly exaggerated anime style characters because he found some games that were not bad games, but were kind of just weird and, and definitely hilarious in an odd way. And then, of course, Metal Jesus is the king of hidden gems, so I'm positive he has some video somewhere about a funny game that most people don't know about. But generally speaking, my gaming experience is pretty straightforward. So other than, like, Sub-Zero ripping somebody's head and spinal cord out in the original Mortal Kombat, that's about as funny as I remember. I remember, like, laughing real hard the first time I saw that, and, you know, 
25 something whatever years later it's still pretty darn funny to me but yeah i would check stika metal jesus and anybody who does content like that i bet you they have some kind of video that's exactly what you're looking for bamboo shadow has an interesting problem they are using a turbo everdrive pro which is uh, Quix's new rom car and optical drive emulator however it only outputs mono audio for cd audio and the rest of it is stereo audio for hue cards or for any game effects, but it would only be mono audio unless you have a mod done to your console or you use the EDFX in the back. Now, Bamboo Shadow's issue is they're getting no audio, not just mono audio. And they did try all four audio options, that, uh, and it didn't seem to make a difference at all. So this is an interesting thing. I vaguely remember somebody else bringing this up as well. Now, their setup is a white PC engine with an RGB mod via an 8-pin mini DIN, and audio is routed from the two pins of the expansion port. So, if the audio is pulled from just the left and right audio of the expansion port, the same pins that you would get if you plugged in an audio cable, an RGB SCART cable, whatever, you should get full audio through that. So... There's a couple of things to check. First, just the basics, right? Make sure that the latest firmware is on the Turbo Everdrive Pro and check other settings. I vaguely remember in the live stream that I did, it wasn't just the Cordin, Core EXP, all of those. I think there was another setting as well that I, I could have toggled, especially when it was the, um, uh, when I started using the EDFX and needed to switch it into stereo mode. So I would just double check the firmware and double check all settings because it's a free option. Even if you have to toggle every setting, you're out five minutes, even if you already did it, right? It's just, it's free, it's easy. So start there again, just as a sanity check. And then I would kind of make your decision on where to go from there. Um, did you do your own RGB mod? Did you pay somebody to do it? Do you know what mod is in there? And all of those questions I'm asking, because if you picked up an RGB board 10 years ago and had an eBay modder do it, or you bought your console off of eBay, who knows what's in there? You might actually benefit from very carefully desoldering all of that stuff and just buying the EDFX, which is pretty cheap. And now all your problems are solved. You, uh, as long, the only issue is eight pin mini DIN versus the Genesis two style that you might have to buy a new cable as well. But same thing, what's your cable? Did you buy something from 10 years ago that's questionable in quality, but we didn't know back then? Or did you get something that's from one of the major manufacturers that you know it's good quality? You kind of have to go from there and decide. But you have a couple of choices. You could leave the RGB mod in and you could try to do a stereo audio mod for the TED Pro to make sure that that's going to work. Um, I would. Uh, I don't know if Zaxor has just the audio mod done, I think he might because he did the Turbonanza, which you mentioned, uh, and that's the other option. If you wanted to do an internal mod, you could leave your 8-pin mini DIN installed and just wire up the Turbonanza, and then you get full stereo audio, you get RGB, it's very high quality, and because it's the 8-pin, you just wouldn't get S-Video, which, you know, it's fine if you're already using a RGB cable, you wouldn't need that anyway. And of course, you could swap the mini DIN out if you wanted, and then, of course, the last option, do you just remove everything and use an external adapter? But 
I would kind of just decide what you want to do based on all of those different things. Um, I wish there was an easier solution and I wish I knew why this was happening. I wish I just had like a direct thing where, oh yeah, when this happens, you know, flip the switch and press the red button. But I think you're going to have to do a bunch more troubleshooting steps and then kind of make a decision on what direction you want to go in. But I'll leave a link to Zaxor on Twitter. Uh, so if you do just want to do an audio mod, maybe he'd be able to sell you a board for that or something. Jeff Cullops owned a Mega Everdrive Pro from Stone Age Gamer for about two years now. They've recently run into an issue where the Genesis ROMs load and play fine, but Sega CD games and MD Plus MSU MD have no CD audio. Also interesting is at the same time, they have no audio for SMS FM sound games, nor any sound whatsoever for the NES emulation. They suspect something on their board died, but they have no idea what the warranty or lifespan is on these units. Um, any light I could shed for a possible fix or warranty info. They tried upgrading to the 419 beta firmware and no change. So the only other thing I would do is grab any micro SD card, as long as it's, you know, more, as long as it could fit a couple of Sega CD games on it, do a full SD format on it to fat 32, load up the latest firmware, load up a couple of ROMs and see what happens. If it doesn't work on your current Genesis, try, if possible, another Genesis console as well, because you just want to make sure, first, it isn't software, and second, it isn't Genesis, and just do all that troubleshooting in advance, and then contact Stone Age Gamer and see what they can do. Um, if it's out of warranty, maybe there's some kind of trade-in, maybe there's a repair. You know, two years is two years, right? So while Quix's stuff has lasted a hell of a lot longer than that, it's still something that in, in the world of electronics, if you buy something and two years later, there's issues with it, it sucks, but it's not unreasonable. It's not ragey, rage inducing. So maybe you just got unlucky. Maybe there's some damage, but I, I would just double check all of the troubleshooting steps first. A new, a new meaning a different micro SD card formatted completely is always a good thing to try. And definitely, definitely a different Genesis just for the heck of it. Um, but yeah, then I would just contact Stone Age Gamer with your order number and just ask if there's anything they could do. Who knows? Maybe it's repairable. Maybe just one little component went bad and you just have to replace one thing on it. Maybe they could do it for you. But, you know, whenever I'm in situations like this, I always do as much troubleshooting as I can first and then go in and ask the questions. And, you know, it's funny because very often I get responses like, hey, thank you for already doing all the troubleshooting for me. Uh, you don't really need to do anything else. Here's your RMA, or we don't have a warranty for this, but you could, here's your replacement plan. And funny enough, there's also been an equal amount of times where not Stone Age Gamer, but other stores, just Paramount Plus just did this to me the other day. Was it Paramount Plus? No, it was um, Peacock, one of the stupid streaming services where I explained to them what happened. They didn't read a word of it, gave me a generic response and blew me off. And that sucks, but I don't imagine that you're going to get that kind of service from Stone Age Gamer. So I would uh, I would just put as short but detailed an email as possible together, explaining everything and kind of go from there. But, you know, m maybe you'll get lucky and swapping the micro SD or using a different Genesis will is it will you'll help you determine that the problem isn't the Mega EverDrive Pro. But if it is, you know, present the issue to Stone Age Gamer and, and see if there's something they can do. 
Jason Guffey said they're still trying to decide on what kind of shell they want for their mister, and they thought it would be neat to repurpose an actual game console shell. As I've said, it doesn't feel right to buy and destroy a functional vintage console for this purpose, but they also can't afford to drop over 100 bucks on a new retro gamer store shell, even if they are sexy as hell. Even if it wasn't the budget, they'd still feel bad buying one of their shells only to hack it up and possibly come to regret it later. So do I have any suggestions on how or where I might source some old broken consoles or even just their housings so that they could experiment with them but retain a clear conscience? Yeah, eBay, definitely. Look for junk consoles on eBay. Um, look for stuff that already has had holes drilled in it that probably doesn't work anymore because somebody did a terrible mod to it or something. And just kind of go from there. Look for junk consoles, and who knows? Maybe you'll end up with a junk NES or a junk Genesis, and you pull it all apart, and you find out that there's some salvageable stuff in there. And if the console's already had a bunch of holes drilled into it, now you could just feel free to hack it up because it's already been destroyed. <laughs> so, yeah, I would, I would definitely kind of look through that and see. Um, but, you know, it, it is kind of going to be tricky. So I, I would just look for junk. And uh, junk lots is another one. So you might find a lot of 10 broken Super Nintendos for 100 bucks or something, and you most likely would be able to pull, pull all of those apart and make a couple of working ones out of it. So you spend some time, but you end up getting your money back, and if there's some yellowed and cracked shells, you could spray paint them, spray paint them on all sides so the paint also kind of acts as like a glue to keep it together, and then just start drilling holes in it, and that way you'll know that you didn't destroy anything, you just used parts of stuff that were about to crack and fall apart anyway. So yeah, I would absolutely do that and, and kind of go from there. And who knows, maybe you might actually make a couple of bucks off of it if you're able to restore multiple consoles in a lot, if that's the route you, uh, the route you decide to go down. But I kind of want the opposite. And this is just a, a personal preference, but I would love Retro Game Restore to partner up with uh, Mr. Multisystem or, or whoever else, but somebody that could make drop-in replacements for original consoles or those shells. So that way you pay X amount of money and you get one of those clear shells and then you get a board. Maybe it's like, and I'm just making stuff up here, but maybe it's something like the Mr. Multisystem uh, motherboard that bolts into an adapter board that sits in the original console. So you're actually only making adapter boards for that and kind of just go about, changing things up from there. I don't know, but I would love to see that. And I would definitely pay full price for something like that. Cause I just think it's the perfect crossover of new and nostalgia at the same time. You know, one of those smoke or purple shells with the stuff in it. So if you're far away, you can't really see, but if you get up close, you could see that it's this crazy science project called the mister. I don't know. I would love that, but that's just me. Uh, that's just me daydreaming, I guess. I think just trying to find junk stuff on eBay might be one of the few times that eBay is the perfect place for to go for something like that. Well, that's it for this time. If you want to ask a question, ask anything you want, wherever it is that you support, but please just ask in the latest post because the way these services work, I can't really figure out what's a new question on an older post, but also I really like just scrolling through in real time and having uh, treating this like a conversation as if we were hanging out somewhere. And wherever it is that you support is cool to post. Uh, it was only Patreon today just because the other services didn't happen to have any questions, but wherever it is you support, 
just fire off whatever question you got. And if for whatever reason I miss it, it's either because the question came in after I was done recording, but before I uploaded the video, uh, or maybe I made a mistake and deleted it in post by accident or something. But if, uh, if you need to get a hold of me, you know, DM me through any of the services as usual, or just re-ask the question for next week, and I'll definitely get to it. But as always, thanks to everybody who participates in these. I really enjoy doing them, and I'll see you next week.